Uh, find, if you have your copy of Scripture, the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 15. We're going to read the, the two concluding verses to this famous story of Jesus, the story of the prodigal son. Luke 15, and we're going to read verses 31 and uh, 32. All summer we've been talking about uh, the stories and the sayings of Jesus uh, for the last, well, beginning two weeks ago, we began this look at the, the famous parable. We, we studied the son, we studied uh, the elder brother, uh, the younger brother, we studied the elder brother, and today we look at the father. Acts 15, beginning at verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. We remember the younger son. Now, I'm so sorry about this choir. And in fact, most of you can't see it either, but they're going to zoom in so that our friends uh, on television can see it and the rest of you can imagine it. We've looked at the, and this is, a, this is the Rembrandt, this is the original, we brought this from Europe this week. So this is the story, of the, uh, Rembrandt's depiction of the story of the prodigal son. So we've studied the, the son who in tattered rags uh, kneels before the father. The young man who decided that a, a, a place in the father's business, that uh, a vast estate, that that the love of his father just wasn't enough. He had to live the, the so-called high life. And so he, he made plans and to finance that. He needed money, so he asked for his inheritance. Give me my inheritance and give me that now. And that was such a terribly hurtful thing to a father. It was essentially saying, uh, I wish you'd go ahead and die so I could get my money. And so the brokenhearted father wrote uh, or signed a piece of paper that would give part of his estate, his land to the son, and the son then, then sold that piece of land, he had money, and then he went to a faraway land where again, to quote an old Willie Nelson song, he spent all his money calling everybody honey and wound up singing the blues in a pig pen. But then there was a famine and his money ran out and his friends ran out and, and he remembered where he really belonged. The Bible says he came to himself. And so he, he headed home, Rehearsing, rehearsing uh, his speech that he would say to his father, Dad, I'll just be a hired hand if you'll just take me back. He rehearsed his speech, but he never got to give it. The father, dressed here in regal clothes, whose hands rest on the back of the prodigal, who, which means wasteful son, now, this is Rembrandt's depiction of it. It's got the father kneeling here with some others looking on, and then we're going to look at the elder brother in a minute. But in the, in the way that Jesus told it, he was looking out down the road like he always did, hoping his son would come home. And when he saw him, he began to run. I can imagine some workers out in the front yard who saw when the father came by, nothing but heels and elbows. His boy was coming home. Now, those who study such things say that it was unheard of for a person of means, for, a, for an established wealthy person to run. They didn't run. They moved uh, with a, a dignified, uh, unhurriedness. They moved 
slowly with dignity. But, but this man didn't care anything about dignity. His boy was coming home. Protocol, those who study such things say that pro- protocol demanded that the father stay inside the house and that the, the son come into the house and, and throw himself uh, prostrate before uh, the father. Protocol, schmodocol, the father said, my boy's home. And he ran, and the Greek word for running there does not mean trotting, it means straining. If you can picture a runner at the end of the race, when it's a tight race, straining for the finish line, he strained, his heart was ahead of his feet, and, and he ran to his son, and he grabbed him, and he hugged him, and there was none of this, how could you, or why would you, it was... It was just welcome home and they put a, put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger which signified sonship and, and he threw a party. And then of course there's the, the elder brother depicted in this painting looking down his nose literally with disdain toward, he's dressed in, in finery, looking down with disdain toward the one in, in tattered cloths. When he, he was out in the field when the prodigal came home and when he heard about the party, he asked one of the servants, what's the party about? And they, they said, you're, have you not heard your little brother's home and your dad is so excited. I'm not going to the party, the elder brother said. Finally, they called the father out to try to encourage the, younger, or the older brother to come. But the older brother said, I ain't going to the party. If anybody deserves a party, it's me. I've been here the whole time. And he's never so much as even bought me a goat. And he's already fattened a calf. He killed the fattened calf for for my younger, boozing, carousing, hedonist brother. The father was a patient man. Would you please come to the party? Don't you understand? My, My son, your little brother was, it's like he was lost and now he's found. Why? It's like he was dead and now he's alive. The elder brother was too snooty to go to the party. And, and please, let's be, let's be clear. Anybody who's too spiritually snooty to welcome prodigals. Anybody who's too spiritually snooty to be glad for the second chances of prodigals. Is more to be pitied, perhaps, than the prodigals themselves. Jesus said to the religious leaders... The prostitutes are ahead of you in line to get into the kingdom of God. Anybody who doesn't like prodigals is to be pitied more than the prodigals. So that's the son and the elder brother and the father. Let's focus this morning on the father. I received a phone call two weeks ago on Sunday afternoon after I preached that morning about the son. And this person said, I've heard sermons like that on the son a hundred times. But I always wonder, what was it like for the father when his son was in a distant land? That phone call shaped the way that I've approached this Sunday. Let's talk about Parents of prodigals. Parents have dreams for their children. Now, I don't want to read too much into this parable. Jesus didn't go into this detail, and I don't want to go into that detail with any, with any sense of authority. 
But it is easy to imagine that this Jewish father had dreams for his son, that he had dreams that his son one day would, would be part of the family business. Instead, he sold part of the family business. This Jewish father certainly had dreams that his son would marry a good Jewish girl from the, from the town and, and that they'd hang around and have grandkids. Instead, his son was out carousing with ladies of the evening. The Jewish father must have imagined, must have dreamed that his son would, would grow old with him, that they would grow old together, that there'd be countless times of laughter around his table, but instead his, his youngest boy was out living such a reckless life that he, he would have given anything to get what the pigs eat. This Jewish father had dreams for his son, certainly. But parents' dreams for their children do not always come true. Parents want to shape their children. At the entrance or near the entrance to our office space over here, uh, there's a display of, of marbles. There are 19 jars, 18 of them contain marbles. Those 18 re represent the 18 years that we have to impact our children between birth and graduation from high school. There are 930 marbles in those jars, 930 marbles representing approximately the number of weeks that parents have between birth and the graduation of their son or daughter from high school, 930 approximately. So with every week, you take out a marble. The idea is that after they graduate from high school, the die is pretty much cast, and our, our ability to impact our children diminishes significantly. In fact, some would argue that the die is cast far earlier than graduation from high school. But the point is that there's only so much that parents can do. Parents usually get to shape their children but not always. There's only so much parents can do. But Travis, don't forget Proverbs 22, 6. I didn't forget that. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way it should go. And, and when he is old or she is old, they will not depart from it. That's, that's in the Bible. It's divinely inspired. But don't forget the particular book from which it comes. It comes from the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs, by definition, are generally true. Proverbs, even divinely inspired proverbs, are generally true, meaning that people who train their children in the way they should go generally have them not depart from it. The book of Proverbs was written 3,000 years ago, and for three millennia, parents have been beating ourselves up with Proverbs 3.22. If only I'd brought him up, if I only I'd brought her up, rightly, then they wouldn't be in a foreign land taking care of the pigs. There's only so much parents can do. In the end, it's his life, it's her life, and there's only so much parents can do. Back to the story. We're left to wonder what the father was thinking when his son was in the distant land and news came back of how he was living. Did he blame himself? 
Did he beat himself up? Did he wonder if I only I'd done this more? If only I'd done that less? We can speculate, only speculate, and Jesus didn't address it. But if this father of the prodigal did not beat himself up, did not lose sleep at night, did not cry out to God to save his son, then he's the only parent of a prodigal in history who did not. In the end, it's his life or her life, and there's only so much a parent of a prodigal can do. What if your sons and daughters are grown and you wish there were things you had done differently? Well, it doesn't do any good to dwell on that. You probably did the best you could, the best you knew at the time. Your best option is to embrace grace. Grace is not just for other people, it's for us. Your best option is to embrace grace and be the best parent of a prodigal son or daughter that you can be. You cannot turn back the clock, but it's never too late to try and be the best parent of a prodigal adult son or daughter that you can be. Now, if you need to apologize, apologize. Some of us may have some things to apologize for. Maybe, maybe we didn't act at home like we acted at church. If so, we need to apologize. Maybe we had unrealistic expectations of our children. Maybe bees weren't enough for us, but it was the best they could do. And we need to apologize. Maybe you were the dad that was always yelling at his son when he struck out at a little league game or the mother who was always yelling at the umpires and embarrassing your little girl at the softball games. Then you need to apologize. If you've spoken harshly, and that's my thing. I, there were times when out of impatience, I spoke with such a harsh tone to my sons and daughter. I wish I could have those days back. If you need to apologize, apologize. If there's a chasm between you and your adult son or daughter, then be the first one to step across that chasm. It might not be met with a welcome, quite honestly. I, sometimes it's not. But you will have stepped across the chasm. In the end, it's his life and her life. And there's only so much that parents can do. Ruth Bell Graham wrote a wonderful book titled Prodigals and Those Who Love Them. She tells in that book the story of a, a young man, a college freshman, who came home for the Christmas break, his first year away in college, came home for Christmas break. And he said to his father, Dad, I'm not sure I can follow you any longer in your simple Christian faith. Son, his dad replied, that is your freedom, your terrible freedom. Our sons and daughters have freedom, terrible freedom. 
frightening freedom, worrisome freedom, the freedom that keeps parents up at night. And in the end, it's his life and it's her life. And there's only so much parents can do. So if you are the parent of a prodigal son or daughter, please hear me. Don't stop loving your prodigal. Do stop beating yourself up. Don't stop praying for your prodigal. Do stop accepting blame for his or her decisions. Don't stop looking down the road hoping for them to come home. Do stop assuming their bad decisions are directly attributable to bad parenting. In the end, it's his life or her life, and there's only so much parents can do. God is our Father who gives us life, provides for us, gives us freedom, and then when we wander, longs for us to come home. When God created us with the freedom to decide, when he gave us moral choice, free will, he took a great risk. When God granted us freedom, uh, he, he took great, a great risk for his own heart. When he granted us the freedom to choose right or wrong, to choose good or bad, to choose to love him or not to love him, he risked his own heart. That is called, some theologians say, the burden of God. Hear that. The burden of the, the freedom that he granted to us is a great burden to God. One of my favorite writers and preachers, the late Calvin Miller, wanted to, to demonstrate or illustrate that freedom, that burden of God. When he grants us freedom, the risk he takes. Miller wanted to demonstrate that, and so he wrote a, a, a fable, a little parable, a takeoff on the, uh, the, the fable of Pinocchio. This one he calls Pentuchio. So there was a rabbi, Rabbi Japheth ben Levi, Japheth ben Levi, and his wife Esther could not have children, and they were very sad. So God whispered to the rabbi, carve a marionette, a puppet, out of wood, and he will be your son. You see the similarity with Pinocchio. So God whispers to the rabbi, carve out a son out of wood, and, and he will have life, and he will be yours. And so the rabbi began to carve out of a giant table leg. He began to carve his son, a marionette, a puppet, Pentuchio. But so he, par he began to carve and the head emerged. And when the head emerged, he carved out a mouth. And as soon as he carved out a mouth for his son, Pentuchio, uh, Pentuchio began to speak disrespectfully to him. But he began, he continued to carve. He carved until he carved out arms for the marionette. And soon after having arms, Pentuchio reached over, grabbed the knife and stabbed his father the rabbi. The rabbi was having second thoughts about uh, his son, but he loved that son that was emerging from the wood and he, 
He tried to teach him scripture. He continued to carve. And he carved out legs for Pentuchio, the marionette. Pentuchio began to kick his father. Kicked him. Kicked him. The rabbi decided enough's enough. He tied up Pentuchio and locked him away. To let somebody, to give somebody like that freedom and let him loose on the world, he thought was too risky. And then he heard a whisper. Japheth, this is God. I know. You've got to let him go, you know. But what if he disowns me and embarrasses me or makes me cry because of his disobedience? What will I do then? I tell you, it's much easier to make children than to set them free, God answered. But you can't create them to be free and then tie them up. I didn't do that to Adam and I didn't do that to you. So, Japheth, now you know the burden of God, do you not? So Japheth freed his wooden son, though reluctantly. And sure enough, as soon as he was free, he set the house on fire and ran away and eventually denied that Rabbi Japheth ben Levi was his father at all. During his final year of life, Japheth said to God, you told me to set him free and I did. And now this very son I made denies that I ever made him. And God answered, many of Adam's children treat me the same way. The story of Japheth and Pentuchio reminds us of the great price God paid in granting to you and me such imperfect humans, such flawed people as we are, freedom. And if you are the father or son, excuse me, the father or mother, if you are the father or mother of a prodigal son or daughter, then you have a unique insight into the very heart of God. If you are the parent of a prodigal, you have a unique insight into the heart of God. You know what it is like to give a child life and then have him or her squander life, at least a portion of it. You know what it's like to want the best for them and to have them choose less than the best. If you're a parent of a prodigal, you have unique insight into the very heart of God. You know what it's like to have your heart walk around outside your body and be broken. If you're the parent of a prodigal, you have a unique insight into the heart of God. One father told his story. She was 15 years old and out of control. On birth control pills as a single, uh, excuse me, as a 15-year-old young lady for the obvious reasons, Often wouldn't come home at night at age 15. Mom and dad tried everything. Every punishment they could imagine. Which she turned around on them and said, my problems are because you're, or what they are because you're too strict. 
And he said to his friend, I remember, please hear me, I remember standing before the plate glass window in my living room, staring out into the darkness, waiting for her to come home. I felt such rage. I wanted to be like the father of the prodigal son, yet I was furious with my daughter for the way she would manipulate us and twist the knife to hurt us. And of course, she was hurting herself more than anyone. I understood that the passages, I understood then the passages in the prophets expressing God's anger. The people knew how to wound him, and God cried out in pain. And yet he continued, I must tell you, when my daughter came home that night, or rather the next morning, I wanted nothing in the world so much as to take her in my arms, to love her, to tell her I wanted the best for her. I was a helpless, lovesick father. That father, standing at the plate glass window, looking for his daughter to come home. And that father sitting on a first century porch, looking down the road, hoping his son would come home. Those are pictures of the one who gave you life. God creates us. He loves us. He gives us freedom. And when we wander, He longs. He longs for His children to come home.